I pray you anoint Pastor Dave as he comes with the word. We give you thanks for this time in praise and worship as we continue to service. In your son's name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. It's good to be in the house of God this morning. Amen? Amen. I trust you had an amazing week in Christ and you're gearing up for another amazing week in the Lord. I, uh, I know at the Morris house, it's, uh, it's, it's a busy time of year. Are you kind of busy right now? And I realize I haven't even like started sh- Christmas shopping or anything like that. I'm thinking, man, it's a busy time. But what I love about this time of year is it's family and fellowship and connection and just getting to be together with the body of Christ and celebrate the birth of our Savior. What a great, great season we're in. Well, this morning, uh, I probably have an announcement or two that I'm supposed to make. I know of at least one. And so you'll have to read through your bulletin or your worship folder, whatever you call it, program. Uh, So read through that. But tonight, there are not the normal evening service for the adults or the youth service for the teenagers. There is the children's play practice that will be happening right here. The rest of the fellowship we're inviting to come and be a part of the all-one Christmas celebration service at Milwaukee Christian. We know there are at least nine churches that are going to be participating in the celebration of the birth of Christ tonight together. And I would love you to join me and others from Hillside to come out in strong numbers and celebrate the season together with the body of Christ. To meet some folks who are loving and celebrating Jesus right here in our community as we also are seeking to work together as the body of Christ to reach our community with the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Well, I hope you make plans to come out tonight for that. That'll be great. Um, Turn in your Bibles, if you will, with me to Revelation chapter 6. And as you're turning to Revelation chapter 6, I'll give a quick recap. And I say quick, I know that in reality it won't be very quick. It simply will be a lot of information, so put your seatbelts on. Uh, Remembering that John, the apostle, is the author of this revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ that God the Father gave to Christ and Christ gave to John while on that island. John also is an author of five total books in the New Testament that we have for us. He's a pastor, and at this time, while he was authoring this particular letter, the book of Revelation, or this uh, prophecy, he was the only disciple yet still alive. All others had been martyred for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, you might recall that it was said of John by Jesus when Peter questioned Jesus about, hey, how long is John going to be around? I know now how I'm going to be honoring you in my, in my life and in my death, but what about this guy? And Jesus said, hey, if I will, he remains until I return. That's my business, not yours. Well... John is this one who is remaining up to this point in the first century. He was born at Bethsaida to Zebedee and Salome. He's a Galilean fisherman. 
His partners were Peter and Andrew. You might recognize those names. Uh, he was also the one who was part of Jesus' inner circle. So by way of reminder, in Matthew chapter 17, we have three that were pulled aside and brought up onto the mountain with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. So he is part of this inner circle. He was also one that was included in the Mount Olivet Discourse by Jesus. There were four disciples there. He was one of the three that was pulled away in the Garden of Gethsemane and was uh, asked by Jesus to pray and tarry. And, uh, of course, you and I know the story. They kind of fell asleep. They slumbered there. But he was one of those in that early uh, inner circle of Jesus. He was exiled on the island of Patmos. And here's the interesting piece, and it's a historical piece that is worthwhile for you to do a little bit of checking. And we really want to inspire you and encourage you all to become students of the Word of God. And so in your, in your becoming students of the Word, you want to check things out. The authorship and the date of this particular prophecy are... Um, it really is one that is not necessarily widely agreed upon. There are many different views, but two that are predominant. And what your view ultimately lands in relationship to when the authorship of this letter given to the church is can have an impact on how you view the events even of this letter. But I would remind everyone that it was Irenaeus who was really a second century uh, father in the church, he was, uh, as a young boy, he heard Polycarp even as uh, a direct uh, disciple of John the Baptist, or excuse me, John the Apostle, Polycarp was, and Irenaeus heard, and it's Irenaeus that tells us in one of his documents that it was during the reign of the emperor Domitian that uh, John was released from the island of Patmos after Domitian's death. Uh, in about 96 A.D. And so I myself am one who holds uh, to a later date of authorship. And so all that to say, on Patmos, John the the Baptist, John the Apostle has this encounter with the resurrected, living, glorified Jesus Christ. And it is there that he is given this revelation and he is told to Write the things which he has seen, the things that are, and the things that will take place hereafter. And so we have in the book of Revelation, the only book of the 66 books that comes with the divine outline found in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19. And by way of reminder, the book of Revelation is the only book that comes with a blessing to those who read it, to those who hear it, and to those who keep the words contained within it. And so we will be blessed as we continue through this book of prophecy and our understanding grows. So we have for us the things which John saw, the things which he has seen. We have them recorded for us in Revelation chapter 1. So really the first section of the prophecy, Revelation chapter 1, the things which he has seen. And what did he see? He saw tangibly and was touched physically by the resurrected, by the living, resurrected, and glorified Jesus Christ. And folks, just by way of encouragement, by way of encouragement, you may be here this morning, maybe you face some tremendous hardship this week, this month, maybe even this year. By way of reminder, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And he is with us. 
He said, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Now, if you needed something just to kind of amp your system up to get your blood kind of flowing a little bit quicker, just to just sit up a little straighter in your seat or whatever it is, be reminded, Jesus Christ is alive. Hallelujah. Resurrection power. That's super, super cool. So, John, who was this pastor who was in exile, who as a pastor in exile for a long period of time on this island, who is a pastor of many churches, you can imagine his own longing for the fellowship to be strengthened and encouraged. Now he sees Jesus. He physically sees him. He's physically touched by him. What, a, what an encouragement. The things which are. The second section we have recorded for us in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. Seven letters to seven churches of Asia Minor. And we talked many, many times about the four different applications, minimum of four different applications, one of which is that these are prophetic in nature. These seven letters represent seven epics of church history, which we are in the midst of. We are in the midst of the seventh epic, if you will, of church history. The truth is, the epics of church history are winding down. They're winding down. The days of the age of the church are coming to a close. Jesus said, behold, I come quickly. And so those days are much nearer. And the third section we find recorded for us in Revelation chapter 4 through Revelation chapter 22. I would believe as a futurist, I believe that the prophecy, this letter of the book of Revelation is a prophetic message to the church, and these are events that will be shortly taking place. We find in Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5, which we've already covered in detail, a type, if you will, a typology of the rapture of the church, where the church is snatched up to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will be with the Lord forever. And we get to Revelation chapter 6 where we initiated our study last week. It is moving from that heavenly picture where the church is down to Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 19 where the focus and the attention is going to be on the nation Israel and the inhabitants of the earth, if you will. We, we looked at that very detailed last week as Daniel's 70th seven. There were 70 sevens declared for the holy city and the holy people of Israel, the nation Israel and the holy city Jerusalem. 69 of those sevens or those seven-year periods have already occurred. In fact, the culmination of the first 69 weeks was the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem in A.D. 32. There has been a pause, if you will, on God's attention and his focus on the nation Israel. In fact, the pause or this interval between the 69th week and the 70th week, this pause, this interval 
of several thousand years is something that we now understand as the church age. In fact, Paul the Apostle, when he was writing to the church of Rome, he referenced how it was a mystery to all generations previous and only revealed to him by divine revelation by Jesus Christ himself that there was going to be an interim and it was going to be in association with the Gentile nations. In fact, we're later told in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, that 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 time period, that interval will continue until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Look at your neighbor and say, we still have work to do. Go on, look at your neighbor and say, we still have work to do. Because listen, here's the reality. The responsibility is ours. I want you to catch this for a moment. The responsibility is ours. The work to be done, Jesus told us in the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion, the Great Commission to go into all nations and to teach and to baptize that we would bring nations and the people, the ethnos, to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so that's our assignment. We are the body of Christ. And so we're going out, if you will. So, we pick up in Revelation chapter 6. And this morning, I just, we're going to read the first eight verses. And I want us to have a understanding, if you will, from the Word of God, the events that are going to be occurring during the 70th seven of Daniel. That 70th seven, or that seven-year period, commonly known as the Great Tribulation, albeit, I believe that's probably a misnomer, it is the 70th week, of which the second half of the week is what Jesus called the Great Tribulation. So the 70th seven includes the Great Tribulation, but there are some other things that we'll be a part of. And here's the piece, and over the next number of weeks as we go through chapters 6 through 19, and when I say number of weeks, I mean numbers of weeks, while we go through this, I would that every, every heart here, my heart included, all of the elders and the deacons and the, just the body of Christ, the brothers and sisters, that we would get that there are yet those who have received Christ. There are those around us who have yet to say yes to Jesus. And I pray that our hearts would be compelled. We, we must, we would get to the place where we must see other men in the kingdom of God. We must. That would become the overriding passion in our lives. In fact, if I could just for a moment... Just reach in to where your heart is right now. And just squeeze. Oh God, get a hold of our hearts for the lost. For the lost. That I would give my life to reach some. Oh Lord, think about your neighbor who's toilsome labor. Labor and all of their work will avail to nothing on that day. If they don't know Jesus, Lord, move us with love and compassion 
to see the brokenness in the world and the heartache and the trial and the tribulation and really the devoidness of all of the things that men strive for, it amounts to nothing outside of a personal relationship with Jesus. Wood, hay, and stubble. God, convert our hearts that we would be kingdom-minded. Amen? Amen? Amen. Praise God. Well, let's read together. Chapter 6. I'll read. You follow along. Verses 1 through 8. John says, Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that the people, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. Father, in the next few moments, as we look into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be challenged. Lord, challenged in that there are many who have yet to say yes to Jesus. And that, Lord, knowing the things that will be shortly taking place, Father, may it inspire us in a greater measure to be actively engaged in the kingdom of God. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said a strong amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, the seven-sealed scroll that we were introduced to in Revelation chapter 5, we defined to the best of our ability what that scroll represented. We used Scripture to interpret Scripture. And probably the best understanding of that scroll is that it is the title deed, if you will, to the earth. And we went in detail over that the last two weeks. This title deed, there was no one found worthy in heaven, on earth, or under the earth initially. 
John wept bitterly, but one of the elders said, Weep not, for behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed and is able to take the scroll and open its seals. And so now we find in chapter 6, the first of the seven seals is broken. And that the first and the breaking of that first seal, we have the white horseman. The white horseman, or the horseman upon the white horse. I would call this seal the seal of deception. You see, the one who is going forth. This is not Christ Jesus, as some would hold. We see Christ Jesus in Revelation chapter nine, 19, excuse me, who will come riding on a white horse. Hallelujah. But he will not come with a bow in his hand. He will come with a sword in his hand. And we find that the crown that is upon his head is a crown of many crowns, and it is a diadem, not a Stephanus, which we see here. And so this rider is someone other than Christ. I would say he is a man of much pretense. Pretense. He is one who is coming with deception. He is one who is coming instead of Christ. You would know him commonly as the Antichrist, which is one of the names given him in the New Testament. There are 13 names given to him in the New Testament. Antichrist is one of them. The son of perdition is another. The man of lawlessness would be another. In the Old Testament, there are over 33 different allusions to him. Daniel refers to him in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27 as the prince that shall come. We saw that last week. He is the prince that shall come. And we know from Daniel chapter 9 that the prince that shall come will make a covenant with the people. He will make a covenant for one week. And thus we have the 70th week. And the beginning of Daniel 70th 7 is when the Antichrist will make a covenant with the nation Israel. And it will be a covenant of peace. He will make a peace treaty, if you will. And we looked last week very specifically at the bow in his hand, that word bow. In order for us to understand what the bow is, because most of us think of a bow and arrows, we looked back at the first mention of bow in the scripture. And we find in Genesis that God set his bow in the sky after the Noadic flood. And he made a covenant with man that he would never destroy man again in a cataclysmic deluge like the Noadic flood. And the seal, if you will, or the sign of the covenant was the bow that God set in the sky. And so we would interpret this bow potentially as a covenant that is in the hand of the rider of the white horse that is going forth. A man of pretense. How interesting that the horse is white. White is certainly a representation of righteousness. White is a representation of purity. For us to be reminded today that Satan himself masquerades himself around as an angel of light. But he is coming with deception. Again, he is the man of lawlessness. He's a liar, and he's been a liar from the beginning. When he speaks, he speaks his native language. He's a liar. Masquerading as an angel of light. I would just remind every one of us in our living today that there is one who roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. When he speaks, he speaks his native language. His resume carries what he is about. He has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. A simple litmus test. When the reward seems immediate, 
one might question whether this is from God or from the enemy. Oftentimes, the enemy promises immediate reward, but he'll offer and doesn't remind us of the consequence of giving in to sin in the flesh. And so, this man of deception, he lives and he is a man of pretense. He's also the man of peace. The one who sits, he comes in that pretense with a covenant. And it's a covenant that is of peace. Daniel chapter 8 and verse 25 reminds us that he will be conquering with peace. With peace. And so, he is a man of peace. However, it is a false peace. It is, again, instead of Christ. Remember that Isaiah reminds us that it is Jesus Christ himself who is the Prince of Peace. The one who masquerades as an angel of light, the one who is coming, will also have an appearance of a peacemaker. But he will not be a peacemaker. So, the white horseman, the Antichrist, he's also uh, a man of power. And we will see on the scene. Now you and I, if your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and you're born again, I believe that we'll be watching this unfold from the mezzanine in heaven, if you will, or the balcony. We will be watching it being played out. But there will be those who will see the power that he has. You see, a crown has been given him. Authority has been given him. It's the victor's crown. It's the Stephanos crown, if you will. And he comes with a sword. Excuse me, with a bow. But it's interesting that the bow is without arrows, if it is that type of bow. And uh, he is come conquering and to conquer. That is the demonstration of his power. So we have the first of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the rider on the white horse. And the seal that is broken, I would title the seal of deception. We come to the second seal. As we go a little further in the text, verses 3 and 4, and we find the red horse and its horsemen, or the fiery red horse and its horsemen. I would call this the seal of devastation. And it's interesting to note that in each of the cases of the breaking of the seal, one of the four living beings says, come and see, and The word to come there really means to proceed, to go forth. He's saying, go forth. And so we might wonder, is he talking to the rider of the horse initially and then saying to John, see, look, behold, there goes the horseman. Or is he saying to John, hey, come on over here and take a look. Look down over the balcony and see what's transpiring. Whether it's one or the other, it matters not. He's simply saying with a thunderous voice again, come and see. And we see this second seal of devastation, the red, the fiery red horse. I think like white being representative of righteousness and purity, red generally has with it a meaning of fire and blood. And we would call the horseman the man of war, if you will. War is going to go out. So the peace that has been established by the Antichrist is now going to be broken. The peace is broken. 
It's interesting to note, and World War II was a devastating time, obviously, in the world. In fact, it was said, looking back after the war, some 50 million people lost their lives during World War II. It was the war that was to end all wars. Supposedly, we're living in a time of peace now. But how interesting to note, from 1945 until today, there are recorded for us over 250 wars since then. And in those wars, the cumulative loss of life ranges anywhere from 25 million to 30 million more loss of life. And folks, this is in a time of peace. It is in a time where the church is still here. It's in a time where God the Holy Spirit still is residing on the earth, striving with men. What will it be like when the Holy Spirit is called up into the throne room and the church has been snatched away and there is no representation of peace? In fact, peace will be removed. What will it be like? War and devastation. That the peoples should kill one another. So he, the peace has been broken. And that second thought there, the planet will be beaten. That the people should kill one another. There was given him a great sword. What will that be like? A time of devastation. The third horseman, if you will, we find in verses 5 and 6, the black horse and the horseman upon him, the black horseman, if you will, the man of famine, and I would call this the seal of destitution. And again, he is told to come and see. Come and see. Again, is it the calling forth of the horse? Proceed forth. John, see, look, behold. And he says, behold. And he saw the black horse. Now, black throughout Scripture is mostly defined with famine. So we would interpret this a time of great famine upon the earth. We'd find that in Lamentations chapter 4 and 5, and certainly Jeremiah chapter 14, we see that black being associated with famine. Famine is like a scarcity of food. A scarcity of food. And how interesting to know, just historically, that the majority of famine that has touched the earth to this point has not been because of a lack of food, production, but it has been a lack of food distribution. And likely 80 to 90% of that is politically driven. I will remind you that 98% of all statistics are made up on the spot. But it is a very high percentage that is politically driven. And here we have a political leader. Here we have this entourage of Riders going forth and things happening in the political arena that is preventing and increasing the scarcity of food. We see that the time is marked by a shortage, and the shortage is this scarcity, if you will. It's a time also marked by starvation. To eat by weight is a Jewish expression of 
metering out your portions. It was a time where there was scarcity, shortage, and starvation because there was only so much available and measuring it out by weight, measuring it out by size is a Jewish indication that there is very little available. And we would see this again in Leviticus chapter 26, Ezekiel chapter 4. And it's interesting that this will be a time marked by a separation. It's noteworthy that there's a voice that comes forth from the midst of the throne. If you look and it says, And I heard a voice, verse 6, in the midst of the four living creatures. Remember where the four living creatures are. They're around the throne. One might interpret that the voice that is now being spoken is the voice of the one who is sitting on the throne. And he says these words, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. A day's wages for the food for the day, so to speak. And then he says this, Do not harm the oil and the wine. A perplexing statement to theologians, What does he refer to when he says the oil and the wine? And some interpretations would say it's just, again, a portion of the metering out of the food that oil and wine somehow is not going to be impacted but is of little nutritional value without the wheat and the barley. There are others that hold different positions. Some would say that this is a representation of the church. I would probably hold... Because wine would be a type or a picture of the outpouring of the Spirit of God that during the days of the three and a half years initially in this 70th seven, there are going to be those people who are converted. Now, walk with me for a moment and just imagine what it's going to be like. We may be in church on a Sunday morning when the trumpet sounds. Statistically speaking, in a church of 200, there are some who are here who do not have faith in Christ. That may be you. And if the rapture of the church happens on a Sunday morning, you may be one of a few that remain. You might think to yourself, well, you'll probably think, oops, first very grievously. I mean, it sounds humorous, but put yourself in those shoes. That will be a very terrifying moment. And immediately you might think to yourself, what do I need to do to be saved? And so there will be converts after, because you see, there's people that you've been sharing your faith with. There's people that you've been telling about Jesus Christ is coming soon. There are those who have already heard the news and the good news, but they did not receive it as good news. But when the rapture occurs, just like that, they may decide, hey, it's time. It's time, and they're going to be converted. And we know that there are those that are converted because we're told later in the text that there will be those who give their lives for the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
I believe that it's very possible that the wine represents those that are born again immediately after and up to the three and a half years of that 70th seven. And the wine, excuse me, and the oil may be representative of the nation Israel and the Jews. Interesting to note that during the days of the the last days, if you will, of the uh, bondage period of the nation Israel in Egypt, when the plagues, the Mos- Moses and the plagues were being metered out to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, that in the land of Goshen, those plagues did not impact the nation Israel. They were protected. And here we have what would seem to be a voice coming from the throne to spare the oil and the wine. I wonder if that's not just the hand of God upon those who give their hearts to Christ after the rapture of the church and his hand of protection potentially on the Jews. Just thoughts. So we come to the fourth seal. The fourth seal. And the pale horse and the rider of the pale horse, I call the pale horseman, were given his name. His name, the rider upon the horse, his name is Death and Hades follows. It is noteworthy that death occurs and the body is introduced to the soil, so to speak. And the soul is taken to Hades. It is a place where there is the waiting for the second death, if you will, which is the great white throne judgment. And so we see this fourth seal. We call it the seal of desolations. The fourth living being says, come and see. John says, I looked, a pale horse. It's interesting that the word for pale there is chloris. We get our word in the English language, chlorine, for it. It really is a putrid green. That's the best description of the color of this horse, a putrid green. And it is, uh, in Leviticus, it's also called the color of leprosy, or it's identified as the color of leprosy, if you will. So let's look at the amplitude, if you will, of this desolation. What is the magnitude? The magnitude, it says that one-fourth of the population, one-fourth of the people, one-fourth is, one-fourth part of the earth is given to them. Now, here's what I, this is, this blows my mind when we think about death, when we think about the inhabitants of the earth. Think back in 1930, the inhabitants of the earth was about two billion people. World War II, however many were taken. and In fact, there was, there was an uh, epidemic about that same time, and I think it was influenza. And I want to say 25 million people died of influenza at that time. Think about the volume compared to the population of the earth. That's, that's, a, I mean, that's a markable, you can identify, that's a percentage point uh, of the population of the earth. Today on the earth, we're 
7 billion, 7.5, it's a big number. If we assume for the sake of argument that a very large number, what we know Jesus said that narrow is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and few find it. So at the rapture, how many, what percentage of the people that are walking on the face of the earth will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air? I mean, if we assume for, let's assume that it was a large number. Let's say it was a billion people. How many of us would be satisfied if it was a billion, right? I mean, we'd be pretty happy with that. But boy, we certainly like Jesus and like God the Father. We want all to make it, but we know wide is the gate that leads to death and destruction, and many enter through it. So whatever that number is, there's going to be translated slaves. There's still going to be a lot of people on the planet. And the, this rider, death, and Hades that follows, they are going to be given power over a quarter part of the earth. If there was six billion people, that's a billion and a half people. A billion and a half people that will die. And here's the interesting part. This is in the first three, half, three and a half years. This is in that peacetime. The great tribulation hasn't happened yet. When the great tribulation happens, it's going to be greater than that. It's interesting that the arsenal of these desolations, sword, hunger, pestilence, and beast, it makes me wonder, you know, when Jesus refers to wars and rumors of wars, these things must happen. They are the beginning of the birth pains. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. The hunger, the pestilence. I wonder about the beasts. I think initially when we think about beasts of the earth, we immediately think lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. My son Jonathan showed me a magnification of a drop of water and I don't know where this drop of water came from but it it would terrify me if it came from someone's sink in the magnification there were some critters in there that looked like some pretty mean dudes most of us understand that microbes in food or water can devastate a people in a very rapid hurry. I mean, we know from the Middle Ages, the bubonic plague, a quarter of Europe was devastated by this thing called the bubonic plague that was carried by the fleas upon the backs of the rats. A quarter of the population of Europe died. It's massive. Something not even visible by the naked eye. So beasts could refer to some small critters. Nevertheless, here's here's the overriding piece with today's sermon. If if, If you would take one thought from today, there is judgment that is coming upon the world. Uh, coming upon a Christ-rejecting world. 
Horses, in typology, would be synonymous to judgment. And there are many, many references associated with that. And there is a swift judgment that is coming upon a Christ-rejecting world. And as the body of Christ, oh, that that would grip our hearts. That that would motivate us to be engaged in our responsibility. And folks, brothers and sisters, it's certainly our collective responsibility. But we cannot neglect the reality that it is our personal responsibility as well. We cannot expect the other guy to do it and not us. I want to challenge you this morning. What is your personal testimony? Will you take time this week and write down to where you could read it in front of the mirror in five minutes or less? Your testimony. Who you once were, your encounter with Jesus Christ, and who you are becoming in the Lord today. You see, you will have an opportunity this week. You'll have an opportunity this afternoon. You'll have an opportunity on Monday, Monday morning, Monday afternoon, Monday evening, to share your testimony with someone. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Here's the thing. You may have a captive audience. You may be in an elevator. Wouldn't that be exciting? You ever notice in the elevators, people get in and they find the buttons, they push the button, and then they just stand with their backs to everybody in there, and they just look up at the numbers. When's my room going to get here? Here's something fun to do. Get in an elevator, push your button, turn around and look at everybody. You say, well, I'm shy. That's not a prerequisite for the Great Commission. Jesus doesn't take that into account. He says, go and make disciples of all people. So we have the way to break shyness is to be familiar with your story. The beauty about your story is people can't argue with you about your story. It's your story. It's your story. Now, they can argue all they want about his story. Well, that's not historically accurate. The Bible is just a collection of books. Blah, 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 blah. But they can't deny a changed life. The power of God to transform your life and my life. Hallelujah. I can tell you, I'm not the guy I once was. And it's the power of God working in me to deny my flesh and to worship Jesus in my living. Not anything I'm doing. It's a work of God. Whatever your testimony entails, who you once were, and don't focus on what you used to do, right? I mean, we do that sometimes, like, man, I was the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. Worser than that worser. (laughs) We forget, like, the Jesus moment, and now what Jesus is doing. Not like what Jesus did five years ago, and seven years ago, and ten years ago, or three years ago. I mean, right today, look what Jesus did for me. 
You may have that captive audience on, a, on an elevator. It may be someone who calls you on the telephone accidentally. Have, Two days ago. I have to say, the telephone is one of the most wonderful things in this. The telephone is the most wonderful thing we have available to share our gospel. I'll tell you what, yesterday or this week, I had three opportunities over the phone in one day to share maybe five minutes, seven minutes, the total gospel. One time it was with a Muslim, uh, not Muslim, but a Buddhist woman. And she had her children in a Christian school, but she was, her daughter was saying, I wish, I wish you would help us with our homework. And she said, it's really been bothering me that I should do that. Well, my phone call with her made her realize that this thing was real. And one after another, but three times in one day on the phone, I was able to share the gospel. Boom. (laughs) Right? Come on. Hey. She's 39 years old. As she's taken the opportunity. A wrong phone number. Yes. I've had that happen. Is so-and-so there? No, no one here lives by that. Oh, I'm sorry, I must have the wrong number. Well, don't go. <laughs> Nothing happens by accident. Right? Let me take a moment and just tell you, my name is Dave, and I'm so glad you called me today, because... Jesus Christ wanted you and I to talk. And I want to tell you about my Savior Jesus. And I'll tell you, God gives opportunities. He's not interested in your ability. He's interested in what? Your availability, right? Okay. So this week, will you take time to write out your testimony? Because you may only have a few moments. The guy at the gas station may only come to your window and say, what can I get for you today? Don't just sit in your car. Hey, he's pumping gas, man. Jump out of your car. Do the Help him out and say, hey, my name is so-and-so. What's your name? And just visit, just say, you know what? Can I pray with you about anything going on in your life? It could be that simple. But you begin to create relationship. I have a fellow that I'm talking with every single week. I go in to get gas at 76 Station. I pay more for my gas at 76 because I can't wait to visit with my friend Kevin. My friend Kevin. Kevin talked to me this last week about church. It's pretty exciting. We're building a relationship. And I'm looking to see someday when you'll get to meet Kevin. Because he's here worshiping Jesus with us. I believe that. He's on my five friend focus. So folks, take time. That's your assignment today. What, what does the four horsemen of the apocalypse, what does it mean? What does all this information, what does this data mean? Is it life changing to me? I pray that it would be. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10 and verse 17 reminds us. Faith comes by hearing. Will you allow yourself to hear with spiritual ears today that there is a Christ-rejecting world that will spend an eternity separated from God in a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels, the lake of fire. And it is not annihilation. It is forever. 
And there there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, that we would have none go there. Amen? Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? By way of reminder, tonight, 6 o'clock, Milwaukee Christian Church, where we will sing a lot of Christmas carols. Pastor Dennis will be leading a uh, collective group. A number of churches will have their participants from their worship team and uh, will hear the message, the good news of Jesus Christ. There'll be something special for the children that come. Uh, many of the children I know will be here at play practice from our church, but I encourage you to come out tonight and be a part. This week, again, will you write down your testimony and hone it down to where you can share it in five minutes or less. I will tell you this, for uh, seven years of my uh, life, I spent as a missions coordinator, and as a missions coordinator, we took teams on short-term missions all around the world. And every one of those short-term missions team that we took, we asked every one of the participants to write their testimony down in five minutes or less, and we asked them to write it down to a three-minute version, because a three-minute version, when you have a translator, becomes a six- or seven-minute version. And you don't, we generally don't get that amount of time, so we got to be able to just share the message quick. And it's really what Jesus has done. And if you take time to do that, you will actually strengthen your confidence in really knowing what you want to say. And say it a couple times in front of the mirror. Tell your spouse about it. Tell your children your testimony. Tell your neighbors. Tell another brother in Christ. And the more familiar you are with speaking about your testimony, the more readily you will share your testimony. Does that make sense? Practice makes perfect, but practice makes permanent. Okay. Father, we love you. We give you thanks today for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, as I stand in front and eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I recognize that there may be some who are even here today who have yet put their faith in Christ. And so just in a solemn moment, each of us individually before your throne, if there's anyone here who has not put their faith in Christ and you would like to do so today, the Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. If that's you today and you would like to be Included in this prayer and make that public declaration. Will you indicate that to me by simply raising your hand where you're at and say, I want my sin forgiven and I want to know I'm born again. Will you just raise your hand where you're at and say, that's me. Remember me in this prayer. I'm just going to look real quick. Anybody out there? Awesome. Father, I'm trusting that every person who is here has made that decision. If there are those who are still seeking, Father, I pray that they would know that we are a faithful place and faithful friends that will speak the truth, but we also have very good ears and we want to hear in their journey in relationship to you. So God, we pray that the relationship we have will continue. And Lord, in their seek and their pursuit of you, that they will come to Jesus. And so we commit them to you. Now, Lord, we ask your blessing, your benediction. And Lord, really, what we seek as a fellowship, that we would be about the Great Commission. So, Lord, may the reality of what is coming upon the earth, there is swift judgment that will be happening in the near future.
Lord, may we be motivated. I pray that Romans eleven twenty five would motivate us even more until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Lord, let us be about that fullness part. And so God be glorified. Help us and lead us to people that God, you are calling unto yourself. We ask your blessing now in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said a strong amen. 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 Go in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Have an amazing week in Jesus. And we'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock for the Christmas celebration at Milwaukee Christian. God bless you.